0: Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. In preparing for our message this Sunday, thinking about the last couple of weeks, it's hard for me, it seems, to get away from a certain line of thinking or a certain way of thinking about us and our walk with God. And as I was reading this week and preparing to go another direction than I'm going this morning... I was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 5, actually in chapter 30, which we'll go to shortly. But I was reading in verse 33, the last verse of Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says, And you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you, that you may live, and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And there's no way to me that you can read that quickly without having to come back and reread again and ask yourself the question, will it really do that? Will he really do that, or was this a prayer only for the Jewish people at a certain time in the past? Was God speaking specifically to them and not to us today, that that is... Can we take a promise he made back then and make application of it today, or are we taking that out of context? That is, are we not allowed to do that? Now, we know this. There's two places in the New Testament where it says that the things that were written aforetime, Romans 15 and verse 4, the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we're supposed to learn something from what happened historically. And in 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's verse 11, it said the things that happened then were examples for us and admonitions for us to learn by. So as I read the Old Testament, I read not only a historical account of God's goodness to his people and the ways he dealt with people and the way people turn away from God and God would bring them back. Not only read that, but also in light of today where we are right now, I have to ask myself the question I started with a while ago. Will God still do today, for people in Shelbyville, Kentucky, or wherever you're from out there, will he still do today what he promised to do then? For another people, will he do it for us who are not Jewish but Gentile? I mean, will he do it for us? Or is this just something that we read, wish we could partake of, but it really can't work for us? It won't ever happen. And, you know, we feel this tap on the shoulder when we really want this. And we say, well, who's it ever worked for? Look around in all of the church. uh, Who who do you know of where this works for? You can't be sure you'll live a long life, not in this uncertain world that's full of so much corruption and... Physical problems and all kinds of stuff in the air and and food and stuff. Nobody can live long today like that. You can't prolong your days. You know what he said in verse 13? He said, first of all, the thing that everybody leaves out, he said, you shall walk in all the ways the Lord your God has commanded you. Now, there's quite a few of them because ways is plural. Many ways that God has plainly explained that he wants us to live certain specific things he wants us to do with regard to him, with regard to other people. He wants us to trust him with all of our heart, and a lot of people won't. So we right away, we have a problem with the first part of verse 33, walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, and this is what results from it. In other words, this is God's provision for you, his promise to you, if you will. He said, walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that you may live. Now, let me ask you a question. Were they alive at the time he spoke this? Well, they're already living, aren't they? So what does it mean that you may live? So what does he mean? And he says, if you walk in all the ways that I commanded you, you'll live. Well, they were already alive. They were already living, breathing, and making decisions, and and walking and doing. What does he mean, you will live? Well, it must mean something more than just biological life. That you will live in a dimension or a way that is beyond what is ordinary. How's that? Everybody lives, brief or long, everybody lives an ordinary life. Is so full as we've heard all of our lives. It's full of uncertainties. You never know what's going to happen next. You can't be sure of anything tomorrow, and life is very uncertain. That's kind of the life that people live in this world. And God says, I've got a promise, a number of things that I have made that if you will give heed to them, you will live. Not ordinarily, not on the level that everything and everybody else lives and all the uncertainty and the fears and the apprehensions. and the un- You won't live like that. The kind of life I have for my people is the good life. and that's the title, the message today, that God's covenant offer is the good life. Now, I want that because it includes that it may be well with you. Boy, I could use a lot of that. That it may be well with you. Have you ever noted people in your life that things just work for them? You haven't? Well, let me tell you, there are some. Things that goes well with some people. They seem to always have it together. There's always enough. They're never afraid. They never dread tomorrow's prognostications and all the forecast of the doom and gloom brotherhood. They're not afraid. Something that used to be afraid like ordinary people are afraid has been replaced with something that renders them unafraid. That's life. I want to live that life too. And he goes on to say that you may prolong your days in the land. Wouldn't you like that? You know what? I think this is a good life. I think this is a good life, he says, that you may live, that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days in the land. Now, I want you to go to chapter 30. This is where we were going to go today to start. This is going to be a very simple message. Of course, the more you study, the thicker it gets. It's like somebody's going to make a, a pot of something, and the more you start adding to it, the more you need to add to it. I was reading in chapter 30, in verse 1. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord has driven you. And thou shalt return, or you shall return unto the Lord your God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that then the Lord will turn thy captivity. So you start reading in chapter 30 about all this good life, and you think, well, where have they been that he has to bring them back? So we have to go back now to chapter 29. This is how you study So you go back to chapter 29, and what was he talking about that he said when you turn either your captivity or your blessing, they would either be blessed or cursed. So what's he talking about? Well, the first verse of chapter 29, leading up to chapter 30, so we can get an idea of of what's going on, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the folks in Sheba, uh, excuse me, the children of Israel in the land of Shelby uh, Moab, beside the covenant which he made with them in, in Horeb. A covenant, very simply, is an agreement. It's a solemn agreement, a, a pact between two parties in which you consent to the conditions and the other party consents to the same conditions. And you both agree to those terms. It's not a thing you ever want to break. It is binding. A covenant is. Now, here's the covenant. God says, let me put it in my words, and this is not the way it would read. God says, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm willing to offer you all that I can do. While you're living in this world, I'm willing to offer you more than you could ever find in any system of man. Anything you could ever do. I'm willing to make an offer to you. I give you my word. I'll back it with my power and my might. That I will, and then he makes 8,000 promises in the Bible. I will give you long life. You can't buy that. There's no policy in the world which can guarantee you long life. I have a life insurance policy you cannot buy anything that is made by man that will assure you that you'll live to be old. And every smart man in the world knows you can't just know you're going to be old. I mean, some people make, some people don't. So how can you just read the Bible and say, "Oh, I'm not going to die young"? You can't do that. Well, now wait a minute. Could God? Is God able? To take the sickest soul that you know and make them live longer than anybody you've heard of. How could that be? Well, because God is. God is unlimited. Our minds are our problems. We just can't fathom that this could happen for us. But God says, wait a minute. Now I'm going to give you my word in print. Over a space of 1,500 years, I'm going to inspire people, people that I know, and I'm going to take their hand, and I'm going to write down things that I want you to know, a message from me to you. And there is nothing they're going to say that I can't do. In fact, I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Doesn't the Bible say that? That God is able to do that. There is no problem from God's side of doing all the things that he's promised. The problem is we read all these promises and go, could it really be? It seems like life is just you play the hand that's dealt you and, I mean, that's all you can do. You can't change anything. And yet we start reading the Bible. God begins to open eyes that get opened we start seeing things like that and then a little light comes in and we go, you know what? Why won't this happen for me? Why can't I live a good life? Why can't I enjoy the benefits of God's power and might? Why can't I enjoy His provisions? Who did He make all these promises to? Isn't this the good life or is it or not? This is His covenant. What I'm trying to say is This is God's covenant with us. This is what I will do. This is what you can count on me to do. This is my covenant. Now look at verse 9. We could read all of this slowly, but it'd take all morning. But verse 9 keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them, and what? And you will prosper in all that you do. Cooking your meals if you're a lady. Hammering nails if you're a man that does that. Whatever your occupation is, whatever you put your hands to, God is able to make it prosper, work well for you. Is that right? Deuteronomy 28 says it, that you may prosper. 3 John 2, we read it last week, that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. This is a message that God gives to his people. This is a good life, folks. This is a life beyond what is ordinary. This is a life that is beyond just natural. You live a natural life on extra or super ordinary means. It's God's, God's supply. And the marvel of it all is that he would make it to us. That he would make it to the likes of me and you. That we could sit in this marvelous tabernacle we're in this room we're in this thing that everybody wants to come and look at that he would bring the likes of us into a place like this and say to us I want to make a covenant with you I want you to enjoy it I want you to do what I tell you to do I want you to listen to what I'm saying I want you to rule out everything that's in opposition to it it's not easy it takes time but I want you to make a decision because it comes down to choices. I want you to choose to do what I say. Just command yourself. Command your will. Tell yourself we will do this. And I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will bless you as you go out. I will bless you when you come in. I will bless all the work of your hands. I will bless your children. I will prosper you. I'll give you a long life. Now our question is, can he do that? Well, of course he can. Will he do that? Didn't he say he would? Wouldn't you want that? I'll answer for all of you. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. You really would want all of this. Look at verse 12 and 13. This is my choice. This is what I have to do. That you should enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. Now, you've got it in your lap there. And here's what happens. You do that, and he does verse 13. That he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, that he may be unto thee, A God as He has said unto thee, and as He has sworn unto thy fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And not only with you do I make this covenant and this oath, but with those in Shelbyville. Wait a minute, but with those that stand oh, I'm sorry, but with those that standeth with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with them in Shelbyville. Now wait a minute. Let's go back a little bit, let's rewind. And we said a while ago, was at the beginning, was this message, was these verses, his historical account, only for the people of that day? Well, he says here it was for them, but it's also for people who weren't there that day, didn't it? Were you there? Were you there when God spoke these words to them? Were you there? Well, no, I wasn't there. But he said, all these things in this covenant, I not only speak to you, but with also them that are not with you here today. I wasn't with them there. So whatever he spoke to them, if I believe it, then he spoke it to me too. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, then I'm going to benefit from all of this also. Because look down in verse 18. Talking about the world, verse 16 and 17, Egypt and and all the corruption. That is a type of the world in the Scriptures. Egypt. And the effect that they had on the people and the way they lived there. Verse 18, lest there should be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God. That's why people do not do well. Because their hearts turn away from God. Not their minds and their thinking, but their hearts to go and serve the gods of the world and it shall come to pass when he hears the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying well I'll have peace I go to church I've joined church I'm not a bad person I don't kill people and rob banks and do stuff and take drugs I mean, it's what he tells himself I, I'm not bad he said well I'll have peace even though I walk in the imaginations of my own heart Look at verse 20. The Lord will not spare him. There's something about this attitude that Christians have or in the Christian circles that look at the word almost with contempt. They say it like this. All those rules and regulations. Now listen to me. All those legalistic statements that are made, you know, the Bible said, the Bible said, the Bible said... And yet, you know, the Bible says so much that man can't do. The Sermon on the Mount, you can't live by that. If he said you could and you don't, it's because you don't want to. Otherwise, he's lying to us. He told me to do something I can't do. That's not fair. If I can read this Bible and he said this is the way walking in it, and I convince myself I can't walk that way, but I can walk a way. I can't keep all of those rules and regulations and everything, but I can go to church and I can quit being ugly and I can do a lot of good things and help people out and, and pray and, and participate. I can do all of that. I'm telling you why God rejects people. Now listen, getting a little touchy here. There are a lot of people that have their own idea, their own concept of what is okay with God to do they don't even read the Bible and when they do read it they're bothered by what it says because well, nobody got it. and so they set that aside and establish a way and they're not bad people they're not ugly or vile people they just don't want to live the way God said they, live, they include that but they live the way they want to live they're good church folks They go to church, they sing hymns, they give money, they help in drives and community efforts. I mean, they're not bad people, but they're unwilling to do what God said in His Word. Now, tell me that doesn't happen. I grew up like that. Somebody all my life talked me out of having to do what God said. They would say things like, well, God knows you're in the flesh, and while you're in the flesh, you can't always... Do right, and you know you can't be perfect. I mean, look, you can't be like that. God understands that. Just do your best. After all, come on. And pretty soon those subtle words begin to soften your stand, and you begin to assume that you're okay because in your own eyes and in the estimation of others around you, you're as good as anybody. Well, who's better than me? We go to church. And yet, what did God say? When man begins to walk in the imaginations of his own heart, when he becomes a law unto himself, he becomes his own little God. What does God say about that when he walks in the imaginations of his own heart? What did he say, verse 20? The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy smote against the man could that be true how narrow is this and i'm not trying to make it now. i'm just trying to be honest with you about it john 3:36 says he that believeth on the son of man hath what life now listen and he that believeth not on the son of man shall not see life but the wrath of god abides on him the wrath of god would be like the opposite of grace Instead of the opposite of the good life, it's just this struggle through life. You struggle, and you struggle, and you ask questions. You can't get answers. All you can do is struggle, and you don't have the good life. How can all of this be? How can this happen like this? Verse 24. To those good church folks that come to the end of their life and never had a break, they say. Even all nations shall say, why has the Lord done this unto this land? And what meaneth the heat of his great anger? Then men will say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord. Uh Uh-oh. Does your Bible say that? Then let me ask you a question. Why then does the good life not come? Is the good life that God promises His wonderful way, which is above ordinary ways, does it not come because we do not meet His conditions? Does it not come because we forsake it or we let somebody talk us out of that? That's why Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you not only will not enter in yourself, but you won't let others enter in. Your message is corrupt, and it corrupts others. A little leaven that you give leavens a whole bunch. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees or the false message of hope today. Preachers are afraid to preach this message today, I think, for a fear that it might not work, and then there would be a failure. And they fail to see that we're not living it half the way that God wants us to live. Listen at us grumble and fight and fuss and... Act confused and, and be bewildered, and and huh, we're not living on the level He has for us. God's level is according to His agreement with man. If you will do this, I will do this. But when you begin to forsake My way and go about establishing your own way, I will be angry with you, and you will not experience all the good that the Lord. Shall have, in, in fact, in verse 21, he said, he will separate you unto evil. He will separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel and so forth. Now go to chapter 30. Let's say that perhaps, just maybe, somebody here today, maybe one single soul in this room has made a bad turn in your past spiritually that you have Set aside the way of God and gone about to establish your own righteousness. And today, recently, the last few weeks, maybe God has been luring you the way He can. It's just what God does. He draws you back to Him, begins to speak to you, dealing with your heart about where is your heart concerning God and His ways. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid this might not work? Are you afraid you will die? A man said this morning that the two biggest fears in America, I guess by a poll, the greatest fear that Americans have is speaking publicly before other people. I can understand that. Now, you all don't scare me. I don't want you to take it that way, but weddings and funerals, <laughs> for me, you say, oh, you don't have any problems. Yeah, Right. You know what the second fear was? Death. Fear of death. The uncertainty of dying when you don't want to, before you thought you should, or just the idea of death because most people do not have the assurance of eternal life. You can't live this whole life hoping this works. Hoping when it's over you made it. That's sort of a hands-wringing uncertainty that just bogs you down. That's not the good life. But to have eternal life, lives in your heart, is to say what Paul said, so death, where's your victory? You mean to tell me if you just dropped dead here, it wouldn't scare you? It'd be too late to scare me. You're not afraid now that you're 63 that you're just going to fall over and die? Why should I be afraid of that? What verse of Scripture says, I should be afraid of falling over and dying? Where does it say that? Oh, get real. I'm trying to get as real as I can. The most real thing to me is spiritual matters. Real. That's what this book says is real to those who believe it. All the world thinks we're fools. But that's okay. Let them think on Verse 15. See, I have set before you Shelbyville this day, life and good, death and evil. This congregation, right here, right now, those who are in the listening to live streaming, this word is for you now. See, I have set before you this day, life and good. Will you want that? life not just being alive but life living something that is beyond just existing God says I set before you like you were going to sit down to eat a meal and somebody shoves a big bowl of your favorite whatever is in a big bowl said I have set before you life life and good who wouldn't want it who wouldn't want that you know what else is set before you Listen to me, all of you. The consequences. It's an either-or situation. Either you want it God's way for good, or you want it God's way for judgment. You got no options. There's no middle ground here. Are you with me? It's either-or. We're not Catholic. We can't say there's a purgatory where, you know, you can wander around in air for a while and get out. It doesn't work like that. It's either-or. This is the way walking in it, but if you will not walk this way, then. He that believeth hath, he that believeth not hath. It's a choice you've got to make. It's one or the other. You live one life, one time. It is called brief like a vapor of smoke. You live it here. Your eyes are open. Your will's working. Your brain is functioning. Make a choice. Either draw back and say, I know the Bible says that. I do not believe God will do it for me. But I do not believe I have to do all these things to go to heaven. I believe if I do just, you know, what I can, I'll go to heaven. Make a choice. Or you can draw back and you can say, you know what? I can only do it God's way and make it. If I want to live the good life, the really good life. Now, I think Bonnie and I do. I really, really do believe that we live a good life. I cannot think, right now standing here as God's my witness, I cannot think of what God would add to us or give us that would make it more or better. As far as I know, I'm living a good life. Now, rich men say, well, you're broke. Here's a good deal then. I'm a broke man living a good life. (laughs) But see, I don't need all that. I have peace and joy. I'm not afraid. I'm not scared of what I hear. I deal with it. I don't dread tomorrow. I don't even dread snow coming. I don't like tornadoes and stuff, but I have something I can do about that. The good life he's given me includes things that I can do about evil when it comes my way. I think in the last 40 years of my life God has given me a good life. It has taken time. It has started a little bit because you got to start and learn. You don't know anything about His covenant. He teaches us if you want to go hear it. I don't know that everybody teaches it but it is taught somewhere. And if you will head in that direction where it's being taught, if you're willing to assimilate what he says and deal with it, then the light will start coming on. Things start making sense. The natural gives way to a supernatural. Logic and reason gives way to spiritual understanding. And the things that you used to have problems with suddenly become clear because God opens your eyes to see things only he can show you back to 29. Look at verse 4. Isn't that amazing he said that? And yet the Lord hath not given you a heart to perceive, eyes to see and ears to hear even unto this day. Somebody got it didn't he? Because the only way you can ever see what God is saying is if God opens your eyes. The only way you can hear what God is saying is that God opens your ears. Otherwise, all you can do is walk out that door, go home into tomorrow's activities, and wonder what all that means. Because you cannot understand it. The natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14, A natural man understandeth not the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. There are people that have in churches like this for years that still can't get it. Imagine that. Still don't get it. Nothing has changed in 30 years or 20. It's not registering. There's still breakdowns and there's still woefulness and and there's no peace and harmony with God. The life that is promised is still not being taken advantage of by a lot of people. Well, if I was struggling with this today, I'd say, Oh, God, open my eyes and open my ears. I'm not hearing something right. I'm not seeing something right. That preacher said, and God will tell you, Don't believe what that preacher said because that preacher said it. That preacher's not your conscience. Check it out in the Word. See if this is what the Bible says right here. Because he said look at Deuteronomy 30 verse 16 go over there again Deuteronomy 30 he said in that I command thee this day to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live I want to live there's a bunch of things right there he said I have to do so I'm going to do some studying I'm going to start writing down some of these things mostly he says hear keep and do Hear, keep, and do. Or hear, keep, and walk. Or walk, give earnest heed to, and so forth. But it's usually the same things. Hear my word. Be willing to do what I say. Crucify everything that gets between you and all the logical reasons you learned growing up that want to interfere with God's way. Crucify all that stuff and become a fool in the eyes of God. The world will say you're a fool. That's crazy. Why would anybody do that? They'll say that. And be willing to do that. And humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, go to the next book to the right. Joshua chapter 24. And we'll get started. Okay? Joshua chapter 24. God has used Joshua to lead his people after Moses left the world. God said, Joshua, you're going to lead these people into the promised land. I Many of you know it's not politically correct today to say promised land, because you might insult some Muslim somewhere. But it is the promised land. The land belongs to Israel. Amen. He's led them in. He's an 80 year old man, a little bit past what we would call prime, but apparently he was doing pretty good. He and Caleb both were 80. And so he didn't want to do it, but God convinced him to do it. And God said, if you will keep my word, if you'll observe my commandments, if you'll meditate in these things, I'm telling you, think about it, keep them on your mind. If you'd be willing to do them, he said, you will have good success in whatever you do, wherever you go. You will never fail. Your life will not be marked with failures and shortcomings. That's the good life, brother sister that's the good life that's good because that's what God says so he says at the end of his life now Joshua's about to die and take his place in history he tells his folks he said now therefore verse 14 now therefore fear the Lord honor and respect and revere God And serve him in sincerity and in truth. And get the world out of your life. In verse 15. Interesting statement. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord your God, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the world out there, the gods of your fathers, or the gods of the Amorites, In the land that you dwell in. But as for me. But as for me. This is my choice. I choose as an act of my will. To take God at his word. I profess I will pay whatever cost I have to pay for that to come to pass. And I'll be willing to humble myself under that mighty hand. So that those wonderful blessings can come upon my life. And thus glorify the Lord. I will do that. Now, if you don't want to do that, if that seems evil to you to do that, then serve the world. Go the way your ancestors and all the rest of this world goes. Let me ask you a question. What did he mean when he said, but if it seemed evil to you? Evil. Why would it seem evil for God's people who watched miracles in Egypt, the Red Sea part, and desert wanderings for 40 years? The greatest miracle in history. Water in the desert, manna, quail, clouds, heat, no feeble, no shoes wear out, nobody needs help to walk, everything works fine. How could any of those people think that doing things God's way would be considered evil? Is that what the Lord meant in this prayer that he taught us to pray in Matthew 6? Deliver us from evil? Deliver us from this kind of attitude about doing things your way? You know what the word evil means? It means troublesome. Irksome. It means not a pleasure or a delight. Now, here's what he says, not only to those in that day, but right now as I'm speaking to whoever is listening. Now, God has shown you the way to go. If you will keep his commandments, walk in the words of his covenant, he'll bless you. But if it seems irksome to you to do that, if it seems to be something troublesome and... Really, not a pleasure. Let's see what the Bible says. If you really don't have a heart for this and you really don't want to do it, you want to be around it, you want to be associated with it, I just don't want to have to do it. He said, Okay, then serve whatever you want to serve. You can only make one of two decisions either God or the devil, or heaven or the world. There are no other decisions. There is no in-between where you're okay as long as you think. No, it's either or. Now, God is long-suffering. He knows your heart. He knows if you're trying and struggling and you kind of wrestle with. It. He knows that. But I'm talking about people who just say, I don't want to, or people who say, I want to. And then all of that, the growth and the processes or whatever takes place there, God knows. Troublesome. Irksome. A burden, not a delight. Could the Word of God ever be considered like that? You all think about this for a moment. Would anybody ever consider the Word of God to be burdensome? Are you all still with me this morning? You haven't quit yet, have you? Has God's commandments ever seemed to be burdensome? His commandments are not grievous. Remember that verse? His commandments are not grievous. Do they seem to be to some people? How many times have people said about a message that was too hard? What was hard about it? The challenge. The fact that your message became personal. That not only did you say what you said, but you it sounded like you were talking to me. That God was specifically saying to you what I am saying. You've got to deal with it. You can't say I hope she's listening. I hope he's listening. Because God is speaking to me this morning, speaking to all of us in here. Nobody in here is incapable of wandering away or falling from your own steadfastness. We're warned not to do all of this. So what is it about the word that makes it a burden? What is it about sermons about walking in in the light that God what is it that upsets so many people where the, I don't want to hear that. What do you suppose makes it that way? There is much about Christianity that man objects to. You know that. Multitudes of people object to the tenets of Christianity, the Christian faith, the walk. They think it's just a little bit unreasonable or inconvenient. We bring God down to where we are, and we try to see God as we see each other, and we dismiss ourselves from obedience because, as far as we're concerned, we can't do all this. And the book you bought at the bookstore, written by some accomplished theologian somewhere, some heady psychologist somewhere, says that as long as you're walking in this world, in this body of clay, you're very limited as to what you can do, and there's so much in the Bible that you can't do well, then the Bible's misleading us in. If it says I can do all things through Christ, and you tell me I can't, then either you're misleading me or the Bible is. But I'll guarantee you this, if people have the choice, they'll choose the, the one that doesn't cost you anything. Give people a choice, they will take the easy way every time. The broad way, they will. <clears throat> they will. Every time. It's the nature of man. It's the part of him the Bible calls evil. Because it's the part of him that views the way of God as unreasonable, too hard, not convenient, and just beyond the ordinary. That's what evil would mean. Nobody can live like that. Nobody can walk in that way. The cross? Taking a cross daily? The Sermon on the Mount? I mean... That just puts you in a grave. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, you only get as far as marriage and divorce and remarriage, and then people are ready to close the book and go somewhere else. I don't want to cope with that. I don't want to deal with it. So they back away from it. They got friends that will say, well, I wouldn't either if I were you." you. Teach the faith message. Just teach about faith, trusting in God with all of your heart, explaining what faith is. Explaining how it works. Explaining what God meant when he said that, And people just throw their hands up in horror. Oh, those people are way out there. They're weird. You know why they're weird? Because they try to explain what the Bible means and not just say words and keep going. They try to explain it. I think the reason I get in trouble with people I have gotten in trouble with through the years, because I couldn't leave certain things alone. But just couldn't leave it alone. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy steps. Amen. Then go on the next verse. The problem is when you go back and explain what that means. Everybody goes, what? Lean not to your own understanding. Yeah, the way you learned, the way you grew up, all your education, the principles of this world that incorporate into you, that it, all of that stuff becomes your enemy of God because it says no way unreasonable inconvenient no way and so man begins to lean backwards there's so much today of the influence of the world that has come into the church and the church has leaned in the ways of the world so they can keep members in the church and give people a way out because when you begin to see the way that God wants us to live haven't they said this about you in the past poor Christians poor souls they have listened to that stuff. Brainwasher, that's what they used to call All the stuff that brainwasher has said, they're not even allowed to lie anymore. You know, the boss said, tell them I'm not here, and they said, I can't do that. And then they get fired. She could have kept her job. she just done what she just lied. But she can't lie anymore. Why can't she lie? Because She's convicted. She made a decision one time to do things God's way. Lying is not God's way. Cheating. Lottery is not God's way. Gambling is not God's way. Oh, brother, brother, you. We just made a decision. We're trying to make it clear to those who sit here that if we are going to be a, a unit of righteous living, we have to live on God's terms. Let me explain to them for the next 40 years what they are. If you want to leave, you can leave any time you want to. If you don't want to give, you know you don't have to give. I ain't paying to hear that, but then take some out and you go. <laughs> you can get the lock off. I'm not asking anything from you. You come here to get this morning. You give me your attention, and we'll do our best to hear what God is saying to us. But God... It's not going to leave us alone. You poor Christians, your kids aren't allowed to date and get pregnant. That's, what's wrong with you all? Kids aren't allowed to go do drugs and have parties. What a dull life they must live down there. Man, some of them don't even watch movies. Don't even have TV sets. Some of them don't. You know what? The greatest child holiday, I wish I wouldn't call it holiday, of the year's Halloween. They won't even let their little kids go out and dress like demons and trick-or-treat and threaten people. See, I used to, and I did trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat, money-or-eat. You don't do that, we'll turn the toilet over in the back of your yard or something like that. That was before they moved it in the house. So it's poor Christians. They're so confined... They're so restricted. They bore you tears driving down the road. <sniffs> yeah, they go to the speed limit. <laughs> Damn, yeah. Most of the time. I'm hearing it, Lord. I'm listening to the prettiest little girls and boys you ever saw, they're not even allowed to go to the prom and I don't know, those poor little boys and girls, they don't have comic books. They won't keep anything that has a clown on it. They they believe in demons. I mean, literal demons. They actually believe that there's one of them behind every bush. Actually, there's two, but they believe there's one behind every bush. He taught those people that all of man's ills, all of his ills, are attributed directly to the work of the devil. God may take his hand off. That means the devil gets on. And they believe that they can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Do they, they believe that? Yeah, they believe that. If you're new here today, I'll tell a story everybody else here has heard. When I was a new Christian in Indiana where I grew up, and we were learning all of this, this was the most exciting adventure I had ever known in my life. Christianity. I mean, you couldn't pick up a Bible without learning something new and getting on the phone and saying, I have found something else. And so we get together, we study and talk about that. We found out that there was such a thing and the Bible is casting out demons. They actually did that in the Bible. You ought to hear the modern version of that. Well, these people. Remember the one about the pigs? Well, Jesus was a great psychiatrist. I don't know what school he went to, but he was was a great psychiatrist. And he knew how superstitious all these people were. So that man that was acting weird came to him and Jesus hollered real loud and scared the pigs. And the pigs got scared and they ran in and they fell over the hill. All them swine went into the water down there and they killed all of them. And Jesus said, Well, see, you ain't got no problems. Your, are demons winning those pigs and you're all right now. And he said, Oh, well, I am. I said, well, I'll be. <laughs> Nothing to it. Not a miracle. Some master of mental, whatever, persuade these people today to see it that way. It's not a miracle. That's not what God said. Huh. Nothing to it. It's just a natural thing. So we begin to get into the demon business. We still start finding them everywhere, Find them in each other. Get a hold to somebody and say you're twitching wrong here or something. We got to get cast. No, we we started casting D and they actually did. So I won't bore you with any of this, but some really uh, whoo moments. I've seen things that could not be anything but demonic, couldn't be natural. I've seen it, been right there, watched it and part and involved in it. Well, when the news of this gets to the church folks who are somewhat liberal. The word begins to spread around town that our local basketball coach, this is the way I heard it, our local basketball coach is casting out demons. How's he doing? Well, he's grabbing these young folks, as I was working with young people, they grab these young kids and they start shaking them until these demons come out, They're like in vomit, and when they vomit, then they would shoot the vomit with a shotgun. <laughs> They told that for the truth. And I think, you know what? You folks, your brain's in crooked or something. <laughs> Shooting the vomit with a shotgun. Nobody ever saw us run around town with a gun. <laughs> a friend of mine, a Baptist preacher, he wanted to talk to me from Henryville, Indiana, where he wanted to come over and talk to me about the charismatic experience. I said, You'll get fired. And I told him, I said, now you better stay away from me, because if they hear of you over here talk, they will fire you, brother. Because you are hired. They did hire you. And you are their employee, and they can get rid of you as they please. So you're really not in charge. You're under their gun. Oh, all right. So one day he went to church. So they wouldn't let him in the pulpit. This guy named Don, he got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. And you know what they did? They wouldn't let him preach anymore. They fired him on the spot that Sunday morning. Accused him of being a gas mitus. A gas mitus. I think he even said, a gas mitus? What's that? He said, I don't know. That's what they're firing you for. (laughs) This is a high level of understanding here that these folks had. We're firing him because he's a They couldn't say charismatic They meant charismatic, but all they could think of was gas Midas. See, I wonder, to me, I wonder why people would follow that, but I know this, that when people follow that system, they fit into that kind of a system, I don't know if they'll ever go anywhere. I think they're just religious people. They have a name that says they believe something which they don't even know what they believe. And they're against things they don't even understand, but they vote against it. Now, how nonsensical. Listen, how absent from God is that mentality? Where is God in that kind of thinking? And You could say the Baptist church, there's Methodists, and go through the whole gamut. There's no one group. It's just Christianity itself that, that has turned against all this because of the influence of the world. The world is unregenerate. Do you all know that? The world is unregenerate. It is without the influence of God. It is under God's curse. The world. He said so. It's under God's curse. And so they can only offer their people death and judgment as an alternative to Christianity. There is a way that seemeth right. That's offering of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of those ways are what? Death. Now, I don't want to be offended if I hear that. What I do want to do is if they speak not according to this word, what does it say? If no light. Now, if there is no light, then what are you walking in? It doesn't mean you can't see some things cuz some of them do. I was in a Christian church, I got my eyes open in a Christian church. Some of you were Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you're a Catholic, you got your eyes open where you were in one of those things. You became acutely aware down the line that in order for me to grow, I cannot be hindered by opposition to what I believe. That's how we wound up here. We came from everywhere to come here. There's only a few locals here. How many of you in this room are from Kentucky? How many of you aren't? My goodness. We're from everywhere. You know why we're here? Because somewhere when we got birthed by God into his kingdom and there was this hunger and a drive, we realized right away that when we would share our message with somebody, there was opposition. They didn't want to hear it. And so we would share it with somebody. They don't want to hear it. And the preacher heard about it. He started preaching against it, about those in the church. And we're sitting here thinking, I can't stay here. God didn't send me to church to get browbeat every morning by somebody who don't even know what they believe or what I believe. Don't want to hear it. I can't stay here. I'm not better than anybody here. You you are not below me. Or I'm not above you. But I can't stay here and accept less than what God is offering me. I can't live the life he wants me to live if you keep talking me out of it. i got to go somewhere else and thank God for tapes in the old days. Tapes that wouldn't leave a verse alone. They'd read a verse of Scripture and then explain it. And you go, ooh, we, I need that. And here we are 40 years later. Finding ourselves walking in a way with God that is wonderful and good and peaceful and joyful. Listen to what God said about an alternative to God message. Listen, you don't know, turn to Colossians two and verse eight. He said, Beware lest any man spoil you. You know what spoil means? It means to take from you. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And with deceit, after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ, Colossians 2, 8. We are warned, beware lest any man, me or any other man, lest we spoil you, take from you, rob you, prevent you, cheat you out of. Take what you were going to get and not let you get it. Beware lest any man spoil you. Through philosophy. Philosophy would be like, well, you know, this is how I see it. And if a man is somewhat eloquent, can puts put some words together and make it smooth, most people will follow that. They think that now that's what I think is right. That's what I think is right. Oh, it he said, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of man, man's traditions, listen, are never going to change. There are systems of men that will never succumb or submit to the word of God. They're never going to happen. And God didn't leave you in that system to change it. I've heard that all my life. Well, I'm going to stay there and do something about this. You can't. Why would you do that if God said he's not going to? Or well, listen at this verse in Ephesians 5, 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Disobedience means unbelief. It's a word for unbelief in the Bible. Beware. Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty, useless Non-God-directed words. Heady words, intelligent words, smooth words. Yes, yes, yes. But you better measure what you hear carefully and see if it's what God says. As I've said, don't believe because I said it. See what the Bible says. And then ask yourself the question, do I really believe this? As we come to a close. Let me tell you about this end time worldly church. The church of the end is worldly. It does not espouse what God says. Oh, I know they say there's always things that are said. I know that. I'm just saying the worldly church in general, editorially speaking, addressing whoever. The worldly church is liberal. Is a liberal church. It is steeped in liberalism. Now, let me give you a definition from the dictionary of the word liberalism. This came right off the Internet. It has been Googled from a dictionary site, liberalism, and this is what it said. Liberalism is a philosophy that emphasizes freedom from traditions. We've always, well, you know, we've always, this is a changing time, man. Things are changing. It's what liberalism says. Emphasize freedom from tradition and biblical authority. The adjustment of religious beliefs to scientific conceptions. And amplifies you, magnifies you. You are the man. You think of that. How much of what is in the Bible today has been watered down so that it doesn't say what's in the Bible today. One of the dangers in all these new translations is they're not saying in all of his verses, they're not saying the right thing. Somebody says, well, mine says it right here the right way. I'm glad it does say that right there. And you're right. I can't condemn what it says there. The problem is 11 and everywhere else in here. The twisting or, the Paul said, the distorting of the Scriptures, the resting of Scriptures to your destruction, talking you out of the power of God in that verse to do something for you, and they're talking you out of it and keeping you down instead of up. How can you live the good life? We haven't even gotten to the good life yet. You've wasted all my time this morning talking about this, and we haven't even gotten to the components of the good life, things that are specific. We'll have to do it next time. Think about this before we go. God is making no bones about it. Serve the Lord and keep his commandments. And if that seems evil to you, then do something else. You have no other choice. The people who do evil, who view God as I don't I'm not talking about bad people. It might have been my mother or my dad might have been your mom or dad. Maybe your brother your sister or a son or a daughter. I'm not talking about people that you just can't stand. Sometimes it really troubles your heart that some people you know so well just have no interest in spiritual matters. But, you know, they couldn't have unless God gave it to them. They couldn't have that unless God gave it to them. Let me close with this. In a liberal church, you have pro-abortion. I'll never forget early in the 70s when I heard that that was voted in. You know, I grew up in a different time. I could never imagine how you could make a law that would give a doctor the right to destroy a life, a living, genetically functioning life inside of a woman's belly. Simply because she wanted to. Most abortions are just because they're having too much fun. They don't want kids in their life. You say, how can you go in there and destroy a human life in a good conscience? Because maybe some religion has said somewhere, well, I mean, it's just your job. It's like a secretary line. It's just your job. You just do what you're told to do. Don't you have a conscience? Do you read the Bible? What does it say to you personally? I mean, first and foremost, we relate to God, not a system, but to God. Not only pro-abortion, but they're pro-homosexual. It's almost today like we're so used to that, of this perversion of what is natural, to do that which is unnatural. And if you don't think it's unnatural, then you've been warped. You've listened to so much of what the world says about that that you can't see the wrong in it. Men don't marry men. Women don't marry women. Obviously, we're against that. And yet, laws are being passed. And more and more, it's creeping into where people are afraid to mention it anymore for fear of reprisal, fear that somebody will say, the times you're living in right now are changing. The stands you're going to have to take somewhere in the future is going to cost you your reputation." I don't know how many people are willing to pay that price, because you're not allowed to reach out and smack them, because there'd be so many of them here Sunday morning you couldn't get in the door. So what do you do? You just say I'm against that. Go on. Yes, they have souls. Yes, I think so. I'm glad that they do have souls and they can be helped. They can be helped. There's some that God gave them up to their unnatural pursuits, and you can't help them. They're locked in forever to eternal damnation, forever. <sighs> the liberal church is so political. It has candidates. It gets big into voting. It divides the church. Democrats this morning sit over here, and you narrow-minded right-wingers, you said in the kitchen back there. You all who are against progress, anybody, you don't listen to me. Watch the political scene. Not everybody that's called right wing is right wing. But what is meant by right wing is that you believe in morality and cleanness of life and you believe in fair and honesty. And how shameful that must be. But that's the liberal church. So that creeps into the church. His education, the preacher's education, might have been liberal. Might have been. Not all of them are, but his might have been. And his slant on all of this or his spin on all of this might be to liberalize your thinking so that you one day scratch your head and you don't know what's right anymore. I don't know. Something is wrong. We can't live the good life like that. Make it clear or hide it. Do it or reject it. you got no other choice. Amen. Next week we're going to get more specific about it. You'll give me the time to do that. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus. I ask you to bless us as you have promised multiple times in the Bible to bless your people. I would ask you this morning to bless us with our greatest need this morning, Lord, to have a heart, to hear a will that is willing. And a desire to do it your way. That's our greatest need. If you blessed us with that, because only you can, we would be blessed indeed. Now bless these people like that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.